she was like, I cannot teach you how to be a man. So like, you need to go do this because this person can teach you how to do X, Y, and Z. My mom didn't teach me how to tie a tie. I learned because she put me in the Houston Boys Choir. In the Houston Boys Choir, Matt Fowler, which was one of the choir directors, he taught me how to tie a tie. <laughs> and, you know, and so when I wanted to learn how to tie a bow tie, I called Matt Fowler when I was like 17 and I was no longer in the Boys Choir. So she knew that to some extent, like her expertise ran out at a certain point. Hi, everyone. This is Ross, your host of Bear Crawl with Dads. So true confession, I'm completely leveraging this podcast for personal and selfish reasons. You see, not too long ago, I became a dad for the very first time. But with that, an older dad. So the one thing that I know so far is that this bear crawl as a dad is not meant to be done alone. We truly need each other. So may this podcast be that for you. So come along and let's bear crawl together. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to Bear Crawl with Dads. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to us. And as you know, one of the inspirations behind the show in this podcast is really just to learn from dads, to learn from dads that are new in the game with young children or dads that are empty nesters that have kind of been there, done that. And I'm just really leveraging the show to be able to talk to dads and take notes on what I can do to be a better dad to my son. And so with that, I'm very uh, honored to have Mr. Mike Yates uh, on the Bear Crawl podcast. Mike, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Absolutely, man. Well, listen, I really appreciate your time. And I know this is a crazy time for, for a lot of people, and especially doing this at night. So I can't thank you enough. So as you know, as you know I was telling you, I work at a school of uh, work in education and I've got, um, I think the countdown is two days before our kids, we kick them out for the summer. So I think the name for the podcast is somewhat appropriate because bear crawling, I think all the teachers and all the students are bear crawling to the finish line. It's just to be done you know, with yeah. as we wrap up this school year. So Mike, tell us just the audience, who's Mike? What do you do? Where do you live? And I'm assuming, I hope that, uh, that you're a father being on the, yeah. on the show. Yeah. Um, well, that's a great question. I am Mike. I am a father and I am also, I've been told I am an agitator when it comes to education. Uh, which I don't mind. I, I, I like that quite a bit. Good. But yeah, um, I'm in Texas, in Dallas, Texas, but I'm originally from Houston, actually. Okay. All right. I want to slam Dallas too hard since you've got some Houston roots. So yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I, I long <laughs> to be back home in Houston. Like I really have been trying to make my move and trying to convince my family that they want to move to Houston too. So, uh, I really want to come back, but, um, yeah, so I'm in successful in, uh, in twisting arms at all. I have like almost succeeded several times <laughs> okay. and then, and then they get cold feet and they're like, no, we want to stay here. So yeah, you know, but, um, yeah, we like it. We, I mean, I guess we, we, we like the life, the rhythm of life that we get to live and we homeschool our kids. So okay. kids are homeschooled. I work from home. So we're all like here <laughs> with each other all the time. Okay. It's really nice. Yeah. Well, how many kids do you have? I have four, four kids. Oh my gosh. Okay. And what's the, uh, what's the age gap or the range? So yeah, we have, uh, oldest is nine, youngest is four. And, uh, the, the exact ages are nine, seven, five, and four. And then 
they all have summer birthdays except or i guess the the oldest three have summer birthdays so it's about to be <laughs> nine eight six and four yeah, good memory uh, good memory <laughs> yeah You're it's like the, it's it's like a sprint though it's like the birthday sprint like we've got to get through summer where we yes. have no money and no energy <laughs> so yeah how do you trick the, the birthday party in that situation is it like some place where they can kind of self like entertain themselves you know we have made a pressure off my wife her name is alexandria she is wonderful and is like an amazing mom and she found and embraced the idea of the golden birthday which is the, the golden birthday is the year like they turn so that whatever day of the month they're born okay like when they turn that year old so like we have a kid who was uh, born on July 14th. So her golden birthday is, the f- is is when she turns 14. Okay. That's the time where we do something big. And most of the time we, we sort of doubt, we downplay, we, you know, we play it chill. They do something fun. We keep it with family. We have abandoned birthday parties because it's too much pressure. Yes. Too much stress. Like, yes, it's just too much. So we, we have, uh, I think we've gotten ourselves to a really good, really good rhythm and flow for birthdays, but it's still like kind of like a grind to figure it all out. So for the golden birthday though, like is, so that's it. So it's kind of whatever the, your child wants to do, or do you set parameters? Obviously if they're, if they're born on the first, the the bar is held pretty low. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like our Versus oldest was born, born on the 30th, right? Our oldest was born on the third. And so we're Ooh. like, well, we'll pick a different day for you but it is where it's where we do the biggest thing that we're probably going to do for them so like for the one our oldest daughter who was born on july 14th we will likely go to uh, her name is brooklyn so we're going to take her to brooklyn is that the inspiration behind her name the city yeah the city yeah they're all named after cities actually all the kids are named after cities Okay, real quickly though, because I'm going to grab a trail. Why, why, why the cities? Was there something specific about that city, or do we not need to go there since this is being recorded? I don't. No, no, no. I mean, the, <laughs> the story is actually kind of funny. It's, it's like we, uh, I, I had this dream uh, when my wife and I were in, when we were engaged. Mm-hmm. I had this dream that we had two kids, and they were named Austin and Brooklyn, and we lived in Austin. Austin to me is like. It feels like the city where I grew up because we lived there for so long and it's where I really like staked my career and like sunk my teeth into education, innovation, stuff like that. You know, when we had a child, we named him Austin and we were living in the city of Austin. So that was appropriate. And we were like, okay, if if the second one is a girl, then it's easy. Her name is Brooklyn. And that's what happened. And by the time we had our third, we literally... We're sitting down and we were like, well, I mean, we can't just name her like Ashley. Like, then she'll feel like, <laughs> but like, we were out of city. I'm games. sure there's an Ashley city somewhere. I'm sure. Yeah. Somewhere we, and we, we were like, yeah, I'm sure somebody is named. We were just like, you know what? Let's, let's keep the city theme rolling. So we kept it rolling for the next two. Okay. I got to ask, what are the two cities? What are the two children? Yeah. The other two are London and Kingston. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, have you been to London or Kingston? No. Okay. It's, so it's now our excuse, like we have to go. Yes, that's your work to do for their big golden birthday. Yeah, that's right. Your road trip in the Kingston. Well, I guess you can't really road trip, but but I love that. Man. And, I'm, and I'm taking notes as far as the golden birthday. I think that's I think that's phenomenal because I, I, like later too. I do want to ask you like 
right does your family having a rites of passage you know when they hit a certain milestone or is there something that you and your family do specifically you know for that child and that could be it i don't know but mike real quick so obviously what, what do you do because i i do want to kind of kind of go backwards from that question yeah. but what is it that you do right now job wise because i'm also too curious as we dig a little bit into your family and where you grew up did, did that any of that experiences lead to where you are now does that make sense yeah yeah um so what do you do right now so job wise right now i my day job is uh, i work for this r d this research and design lab inside of teach for america called the reinvention lab okay and i do a number of things it feels a lot like startup world where like nobody really has a set role use everybody kind of does a lot of stuff mm -hmm. but i exist there as i as i've existed in a lot of places in my professional career as kind of like a swiss army knife like i do a lot of things like when i was a kid and they told us we had to be well-rounded like i took that really seriously and i didn't i i just feel like i got really good at a lot of things um the number one thing that i got really good at was learning skills quickly and like being able to perform and replicate like really fast so i do a lot of stuff i do everything from product design to video production to content strategy like literally everything you name it like uh so right now we're really we're, we're building an ai product for talent matching and we're going to look into build out a, a larger ai framework so that's that's what i'm working on primarily inside of the reinvention lab and uh, on the side, I run my own little consulting company where I work with ed tech startups to help them either in their product design, their go-to-market strategy, or their marketing and brand. Um, and I'm working with a really cool AI startup right now called Sizzle. They're just doing some super dope stuff. Wow, Mike. So I guess when somebody says like, how's it going? Kind of a loaded question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, a lot oh, going on. Yeah. If you really want to know, well, I love that, man. And it sounds like just, um, gosh, yeah, you're just a one man wrecking machine as far as all the things that you're doing, especially in the the world of education. Now, is, is a lot of what you're doing housed under Teach for America? Like, is that kind of your home base that allows you to do a lot of the the innovation? I mean, I know you have your side educational consulting. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. if, if people know me and they know like mainly the, you know, the things that I talk about online, a lot of people, the number one question they ask me, they're like, man, why are you at Teach for America? Like, what are you doing there? And I think I, I like staying there because it gives me the flexibility to do a lot of different things and try a lot of different stuff. It's like playing with house money, right? Like, so mm -hmm. there's uh, mm -hmm. contrary to what people might think, it's actually a real, real fun job. It's a blast. <laughs> I love it. Well, and it sounds like vice versa too. Like they see value in you. I mean, if you're able yeah. to do a lot of things, they're like, you bring so much value and you're helping us. Ultimately at the end, probably in the day, reach more students, you know, yeah. more, more children. So where you are now, so if you don't mind, like, let's just take a look back because I'll see the, the genesis of the show and the purpose of the show is to really look at just as far as fathers out there and the role that you're in, that I'm in. And my hope and my prayer, Mike, is that something that you say tonight may be a blessing to somebody out there. Something that you say may encourage a dad that's really having a rough time or kind of wants to give up, you know? So yeah. so that's really the, the heart of this is just for it to be a blessing to somebody, even if it's just one listener out there. So tell us, I know you said your roots are in Houston. 
Yep. Um, you're from here. So what was it like as far as if we could go back in time and Mike, what was it like in your home, specifically the relationship like with your dad growing up? And did you have some siblings as well? Yeah. So I have siblings. I have two brothers and an older sister. My older sister is my half sister. Where are you in the pecking order? I am like middle. Gotcha. Uh, so I, I, I mean, I grew up like no, knowing my father and who he was, but like it did not grow up with my dad in the house. Okay. And, uh, even I was, I think but I'm not, I was going to say recently, but it was not recently. It was maybe a year or two ago. Um, but I, I helped launch this, uh, series called dad saves America, uh, with my, my good friend, John Popola and got the chance to really like dive into that, like what it was like growing up without a father. And is that a podcast series? I'm sorry. Or is it a, it's a YouTube series. Yeah. Gotcha. Dad saves America. Like shameless plug. It's a great series. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be in the, it'll be in the show notes. Yeah. But one of the things I think I always think about as I've gotten older is like, I don't remember being sad or feeling like I was missing out on anything. It just kind of was, it was like, this is the way it is, you know? And I had enough male role models, like growing up to where I, it just, I feel like I had this incredible, like grace from God, honestly, mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. sort of like absorb that blow. I mean, like, I, I think as I got older and I've had kids myself, I would have appreciated and I would still appreciate like the ability to have someone to call, but I still have people that I can call, you know, and, mm -hmm. and get, get advice from, but it'd be nice to, you know, you know, if, if I could call it, I mean, you know, my, I, I know him, I, you know, I have his number, but he's a, effectively a stranger to me to this day. Yeah. Like it's, he's just a person who I quite honestly, I just don't think about him very often because I am so busy with my own stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> and like with my own kid. And so it's like, it's one of those things where like, I don't hold a grudge cause I truly don't feel like I missed out on anything. You know, my mother is, she still is and was my whole life a classroom teacher and she like refuses to retire from the classroom no matter how <laughs> this is like year 35 for her oh uh, so like hey you should you should hang it up <laughs> if she's listening she started this yes yeah. subtles yeah i'll send it to her so she is <laughs> she, she started to say like all the old people things like all oh, these kids all their music is noise the old people things. <laughs> yeah that's awesome. like she was incredible in that like it didn't dawn on me that we grew up in the hood until i was like 17 i was like oh our neighborhood is not that safe what high school did you go to i went to west side high school yeah yeah and i was there when it was like you know pretty new and um i'm zoned for west side oh nice yeah so uh, you know here yeah uh -huh. so i mean we grew up i was in a leaf oh um, yes. yes and uh we you know i guess fifth war at first but then then we moved to a leaf and we felt like a leaf was like i was like man look we we live in a house this is this is amazing yeah you know the, the week we moved in somebody got shot in their driveway and i realized like oh well you know a leaf gets it gets real in some places really fast but <laughs> i just had this and what i describe as this incredible childhood where i was involved in art and sports and I, I was just, I mean, you're from Houston, so you know about this. I was just, just complaining to my wife. It's like, Dallas doesn't have an art car parade. And that is a shame. Even the Houston art scene, I was all over it. I volunteered and worked at the Houston Zoo from the time I was 13 until I was 19 years old. You know, like mm -hmm. I just had this 
feel like was an amazing childhood, you know? Well, thank you for sharing that, Mike, because I think whoever's listening to this, if it's a single mom, I mean, because I think what a, what a tribute to your mom and what a testimony to yeah. your mom. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually glad you brought that little nugget up about her as far as being a teacher. Because again, maybe that's a little seed that was planted in your heart with what you're doing. So I want to delve into that a little bit later. But what yeah. a testimony to your mom. It sounds like what an amazing woman she is as far as with all two of your siblings. But also to the power, and I don't know if she was intentional about this, but you mentioned, and tell me if I'm wrong, but you mentioned there were some other male figures in your life, whether that was through the world of art or a teacher or a coach. So yep. were, is that where some of those male role models you interacted with? Yeah, a lot of it happened at church. I grew up in the church and I grew up at... In Houston, at the largest church in America, I grew up at Lakewood Church. Love her, um, yeah. <laughs> and you know, today in lots of circles, that's very controversial for a lot of reasons. <laughs> but uh, I, like, I legit remember when Joel Osteen was like actually the video guy, and nobody talked to him at all. Like, I, you know, like nobody even knew who he was. Right. Actually, I, I, the the old campus, a friend brought me. Oh, nice. In third, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yeah, see, people don't realize Lakewood used to be in the middle of an all-black neighborhood. Yes. Oh, uh, yep. It was a whole different vibe mm-hmm. back then. Kind of wish they were still there, but anyway. Me too. Me too. The, <laughs> a lot went out of the place when that when they moved. Yes. Um, yes. Know your roots. Know your roots. So, so a lot of the male figures, though, for you that made an impression on your life were so through the church, like or, through- or teachers. Okay. Okay. Westside High School was the one of the greatest decisions that I made. Because they had, and I, now that that I have been a teacher myself before, and I've, I sort of know the deal, I'm I'm assuming that that there was uh, some sort of stipend uh, for teachers to move there because Westside was one of the it was the furthest out HISD school yes. you knew, right. and it was an experiment. I remember that, uh-huh. and I thought it was just cool. Like I was like my mom at the t- at that time, if you worked, uh, if you were a teacher in the in the district you could legally send your kid to any school in the district. So right. my mom was like, hey, do you want to go to Bel Air or do you want to go to Westside High School? Because Did she, so, does she work at Bel Air? Uh, she worked at Pershing Middle School. Yeah. Um, yeah. I and you. I went to Pershing. So like Bel Air was the, I was supposed to go there, you know, like uh, that was what everybody told me. <laughs> so did you so, make the decision to go to Westside with yeah. your mom? Okay. I, I toured the school and I saw that they had I was really into culinary arts and I saw that they had an Outback Steakhouse attached to the school. Like that was the culinary program. And I was like, sold, son. 100%. Like awesome. you know, blossom. Yes, please. Yeah. And I, I just found a bunch of teachers, uh, particularly males, which for listeners, if you know anything about teaching, it's it's kind of rare to find male, specifically black male teachers in schools. You know, I, I think about my high school speech and debate coach, which is probably my favorite teacher ever, Mr. Martin, like incredible teacher, incredible person, ninth grade geography, <laughs> Mr. Clarity, like lots of days after school, his classroom, just, you know, chilling with him. You know, I wanted to impress this girl was from South America. And uh, <laughs> I, I had gotten word that Mr. Lee, who was a basketball coach and a history teacher, but he was one of those coach-teacher combinations that like really cared about being a teacher. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I had gotten word that Mr. Lee knew how to salsa dance, so I like after school went to his room and was like, "Hey, I know that you can do this. I need you to teach me everything you know." 
and we started a Latin dance club at the school. Like it was awesome. Like, you know, like those That's are the experiences awesome. that I remember growing up. You know, so and I think some of it was intentional. I know that some of it was like because I would hear my mom say like, "Hey, help my son learn X." But some of it I just feel like was I, I just describe it as just like God's hand on my life. You know, like, do those are the, are those teachers still around? Do they know that they made such an impression on you? Yeah, I have. When I became a teacher, I like actively sought them out. The principal of that school, a guy named Paul Castro, who is the principal of a, of an, a school now called A Plus Up Academy. I see the founder of that school. I need to reconnect with him because we were talking about me joining his board for that school, which was like, he was like, how often do you get to be your old principal's boss? I was like, I don't know. But uh, yeah, they know. I, I've reached out to them and, cool. and uh, definitely they know. Well, because I was going to say, if you have it, you need to let them know. That would That's be, right. That would be pretty neat. Because, uh, you know, obviously we don't do this to, I, I don't say, I don't know what your experience has been, but I feel like when you choose it, I feel like it's a calling, you know, because um, yeah. who wants to kind of deal with parents and students and, you know, yeah. so it's it's got to be something bigger than you, but, you know, you don't, it's, it's rare that you get some kind of feedback yep. to say, thank you, you know, and it's huge. I got the kindest letter today you know, from a family that really kind of floored me. It just kind of gave me a shot of major energy, you know? And there's a TED talk that I saw and I'm, I'm blanking on the author's name. You would know him. And we actually showed it to my former school, but he, he, he's a famous writer, but his teacher was, I don't know if you tell me if you've heard this before, but she saw value in him and she would, she would sit him in the corner of the class and let him do his own thing in high school. So he wrote a book, he dedicated it to her and oh, he, wow. surpri he surprised her and he went back to his high school, knocked on her classroom door, she opened it and said, I just wanted you to give you this. And, and she saw it and she just broke down in tears. She goes, um, I was about, I, I can't take it anymore teaching wise. It's, it's, you know, it's, as you can imagine, I'm, I've, I've lost my passion, but this like was a big, it was, it was, incredible you know just the fact that he a teacher made such an impression in his life that yeah. he became this famous author but he dedicated a book to her and he went back so i guess it's the power of saying thank you of gratitude so that's cool you did that so it, but also too i think not to get away too from the storyline of, of a father so some of these men and obviously they're your mom and some other I, I, this is not at all to to distract from the powerful role of, of women and, and moms at all but obviously with the premise of the show, there were some strong men in your life that somewhat kind of molded you. Also too, I wanted that to be a challenge to any listeners too, you know, that if, if, that if you are a single mom or to be intentional about yeah. finding maybe uh, whether it's through your church, whether it's through coaching, but some positive, put your child in some areas where there could be some positive role models of men. How did that seed of education get planted with you? And maybe you address yeah. with your mom. Yeah, and and I'll, the the other thing I'll, I'll just just add really quickly to the, please, to the please. previous statement is that you know one of the things that that I, I remember very clearly and always talk with my mom about is mm -hmm. like she sort of knew where the line was for her sort of like expertise. She was very very clear about that with me. Like she was like, I cannot teach you how to be a man. So like you need to go do this because this person can teach you how to do x y and z my mom didn't teach me how to tie a tie 
I learned because she put me in the Houston Boys Choir. Uh uh-uh. uh. And the Houston Boys Choir, Matt Fowler, which was a which was one of the choir directors, uh-huh. he taught me how to tie a tie. <laughs> and you know, and so you, you know, like when I wanted to learn how to tie a bow tie, I called Matt Fowler when I was like 17 and I was no longer in the boys' choir. You know, like so she knew that to some extent, like her expertise ran out at a certain point and uh found the right resources. And I think the 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 answer to the second question, which is like where did uh education go from i think it was from my mom like i admittedly she told me when i was i must have been like 15 years old now that i've been a teacher before i know it must have just been one of those days but she came home and she was like michael promise me you will never become a teacher (laughs) and she's like it is too much work for not enough pay and i was like Oh, you don't have to worry about that. I will never be a teacher. I don't ever want to do that. I hated school growing up. I was like, you know, until I got to high school, I was like, school is the worst thing that ever happened to anyone. But I actually saw the way that her students loved her. And it seemed to me to be very important to be a teacher because of the time that my mother spent out, like not teaching, like the time that she spent at Pershing Middle School, she created this girls' math and science club. And one day I asked her, why do you have this? And she told me this story. Everybody knows now, uh, but nobody was talking about it back then. The, uh, the, the Because the movie Hidden Figures came out. Uh, mm-hmm. Kathleen Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom was supposed to be one of the first women, uh, the first class of women to be a part of Kathleen Johnson's engineering program her engineering internship at NASA. Yeah. But her family discouraged her. They were like, look, you cannot go. You're not an engineer. Like you're just like Clara from the block. Like you're not, you know, like <laughs> you're, you're not an engineer. And, mm. and, uh, she ended up listening to them mm. and it was one of the regrets that she still lives with that yeah. she never said, no, like I'm awesome at math. I'm awesome at this. And I'm going to go. Uh, that is kind of why she, pushes me like if i if i told her if i called my mom right now and i was like hey i'm gonna build bitcoin mines and and then i'm gonna build the space rocket and launch it to mars she'd be like yeah you are she's like Dude. like exactly but i watched her like make lemonade out of lemons like she turned that experience into the wackiest math class and she was like the funniest teacher everyone loved her i just I, I, all this she was hard on all of her kids and harder on me but i just watched her be this beloved teacher she's one teacher of the year multiple times in the district like she's actually like she's objectively my mom's awesome at teaching and i just watched that i think it just got into me like i was like oh you know you know i never i i avoided it as long as i could my oldest son was born very early he was at 25 weeks so we we lived in in the NICU, basically, and a friend of ours came to visit and said, "Hey, like I know you did speech and debate in college. There's this school that I work at, and they're looking for somebody to revive their speech program." And I was like, "Look, I'm not going to be a teacher. I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, I don't." But I ended up, you know, because I had already quit my job to move into the NICU. I was like, "Well, I guess I do need to get another job at some level." So I ended up working at this small classical private Christian school in Austin, Texas called Veritas Academy. Yeah. Yep. And that is where I learned to love 
not just teaching, but education. I had this unique mix of, this is making me emotional because on the record, my two favorite students both became teachers themselves. <laughs> so it was just like, I, I just, I had this incredible first year of teaching. I did not have the disaster like everybody describes. Like I hit the ground running and I, I really, I had a lot of the same success that my mother had where I was a beloved teacher and parents were very gracious to let me know the impact that I was having on their kids when their kid would not let me know. And so I've, I just, I had a, I started doing it and I said to myself, this is a gift. Like I have this gift and I know where it comes from. I know that it comes from my mom. And then you go even further back. My, my grandfather hurt my mom's father. Um, uh, he was a pastor and a teacher and, um, my last name is Yates, Jack Yates. He founded the first black private school in the state of Texas, which was in Houston at Emancipation Park. So it's just like, it's literally in my blood. And I tried to run away from it, but I ended it up. Mike, that's so awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that. And I, I think it's it's just such a setup to what you're doing. And, you yeah. know, and I mean, the, I, I have to go spiritual. It's like God had you where he wanted you. And he, that's right. he's got you where he wants you. And it's funny too, because I feel like, you know, be careful what you pray for. You know, yeah. I'm never going to be this. Well, look what happened. You know, right? Um, exactly. And it's like, it, it, not that it was a calling for me, but I was like, I'm never going to live in Houston. Houston's a hellhole. I mean, I was born in, and I don't know what I'm talking about. I was born in Galveston, but when I was three months old, we moved to New Orleans. So New Orleans is my home. So it's not like right. New Orleans is some like, you know, but I love California. You know, like beautiful. It's it's the same as Houston. But I'm, yeah, but I would slam Houston all the time when we would come back and see Grandma and Granddaddy in Galveston. You know, but I was like, I'm never gonna live in Houston. And so, like my third time moving back, I'm like, you know what? I'm not gonna fight it. I'm gonna freaking embrace the city and all that it has and all that it offers. And I I love it. I don't know if I should yeah. say that publicly, but uh, being recorded. But I do. Um, I anyway, do too. I wish I was there. <laughs> well, we're at the end of this. Um, Hopefully this will be the the final persuasion to get your wife to y'all to come back home. But I love that story though, Mike, because again, it's such a testimony to your roots, to your mom, to your grandfather, and the power of uh, just changing potentially the trajectory of a future generation. And not to sound cheesy, but it's like if you can make a difference in one child, and I think sometimes the roughest students that I've had are the ones that I end up like caring yeah. the most about, um, because you put so much time and energy into them, and yeah. honestly, any quote behavior issues it's just really they're crying out for yep. for attention and it's just trying to unearth that to say what is it what are you needing you know what is that basic thing that you're needing and that you're not maybe getting at home you know no matter if you're at an independent school or or a public school whatever you're right so thank you for sharing that well before we turn the spotlight on you though as a dad to four any of these men that were like father-like figures to you and, I, and i'll kind of change the question a little bit but was there something that somebody said to you also we know your mom the power force that she is but were there, was there a male figure that really spoke to you or woke you up about something or is something that you still adhere to or you know what i'm saying yeah i mean there's really two things that i think about two that come to mind one of them is this mr martin who was my high school speech coach and mm -hmm. And, um, I had never really had a teacher, like I had never really had a teacher really believe in me, like, like he did. And 
he was always very real and honest with me. Like, so it was, it was good for that reason. But I had this conversation with him and we could not be any more different, right? Like, as remember, he's from Louisiana. He's from Lake Charles. He's this like white middle-aged gay male, right? You know, uh-huh. and I, and just like, we're just like very different, but uh-huh. he convinced me to join the speech team and I loved it. And one day, you know, I, I just decided to run for a class president. People, friends like coerced me into running. And then on the, the day of like, he, he was the senior class sponsor. So he had changed student government to where it was not just a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. It was like, there were real election speeches and real debates. He wanted to mirror the presidential election mm-hmm. a lot more. And me being on the speech team, it was almost like it was rigged for me. <laughs> but I was like, I don't want to do it. I, I was going to pull out. And he looked at me and was like, if you quit this, you will quit everything else that you will do when you become a man. Wow. And I was like, what? He was like, if you quit right now, you'll quit everything else important to your life. Wow. And then he just walked away and I was like, oh, well, I guess I can't quit. And so I wrote this speech. I gave the speech and I, I didn't just like, I didn't just win the election. I won in a, I got all the votes except for two. And there was 1,200 people in my graduating oh class. Oh my so. gosh. Wow, Mike. But I was like going to quit. And and I was not going to quit because I didn't think I could do it. I was going to quit because I just didn't want to. Like, <laughs> I just didn't want to do the work. And had he not, I, I, that rings around in my head, whether it's in the gym, like, like whether it's working on a new, you know, new project, you know, starting a new podcast, whatever. Like, man, if you quit this, what else are you willing to quit? And then I think in terms of fatherhood, there was, a uh, the other significant figure in my life was a youth pastor I had named Tom Elmore, who's now he's now a real estate agent in in Fulcher, Texas, eighty. But uh, I I don't know what it was that he saw, but he was like, "Hey, I think like I just think God has a lot for your life." And I was like, "Cool, man, whatever." You know, <laughs> like when you grow up at Lakewood Church, you don't really go for the Bible. You go for the video games, the girls, and the the, the food, like. Like what is the greatest place on earth for a teenager? Well, it was back then. We had every game system that existed, right? <laughs> like, it was awesome. Uh, but he invited me into his house and I, I like the first time I saw he and his wife argue, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's hot. I've never seen that. I realized like I've never seen my mom argue because my mom's not married. So she don't have to argue with nobody. Um, and I was like, but that was rather healthy. Like, and they actually hugged at the end of it. And I was like, oh, what's that is not what it looks like on television. And I've right. never seen Bob do that. They have this crazy story where they had like his daughter that his daughter was adopted, but his daughter was really his his niece of his late sister. But he and he was like stepping up in this major way. So I was watching him figure out how to be a dad, but it was like all he was like pulling from the advice from his dad. And I was like, man, this is, this is cool. So like my first lessons in fatherhood, it just came from watching Tom Elmore be a father and like him letting me into his home all the time. Mm. Does he know this? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 You know, wow. we, I, we like lost, I don't, I guess we, like, yeah, we lost, like when I went to college, I, I wanted like nothing to do with the Christian faith for, for two years. It was like, I'm out of this. Uh-huh. But then when I actually gave my life 
to Jesus. I called Tom and was like, hey, I'm coming home. I need to like, let's hang out. I got to talk to you. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I love that. Well, uh, the two things that um, I think those are two great stories, Mike, and the fact that, you know, somebody spoke into you to say, because I, I was like, man, what if, what if somebody said that to me, you know, because I think you do want to take the road less traveled and yeah. for somebody to say, uh-uh, uh-uh. Right. Cause I, I have to marinate it on a little bit. If you tell me to go left, my, my tendency is like, well, I'm going to go right. Right. You know, you do. drink Coke. No, I'm going to drink Pepsi. Well, I just, cause I'm stubborn, you know, but if you played me like that and drop that little nugget, mm-hmm. I would have to fester on it for a little bit. Like, you know what? I want to prove you. Dang it. You know, and like right. do it, you know, but, but that's so freaking amazing though, that he dropped that and how that just seed is just planted in you. And because I'm curious too, how that you know how that's played out with you as a father to your children, which we'll get to in a minute, but also to the guy, um, your youth minister, who saw value in you. And I think it's interesting that you brought up the whole fighting thing because I think a lot of people don't, especially in our culture, maybe with the divorce rates so high. But how do you have healthy arguments and disagreements and still come back together? You know, because I think there's beauty and safety with your partner or your spouse to say like we could disagree and have some, but but I know you're a safe person for me that we're always going to come back. But to be able to see that played out, I think is huge. So yeah. that's really interesting you brought that up. So now turning the spotlight on you, Mike, as a dad to four kids, what has been your greatest challenge? Uh, oh, man. I got as, a lot as a dad. I think my biggest challenge is is relating to my children. And what I mean by that mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. when you grow up in the hood, like you fixate on making it out. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, I did. I was like, look, I'm going to get out of here and I'm never coming back. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I love Houston and I miss it now. When I was 18, I wanted nothing to do with the city. of Houston. I was like, I want to get out of here. I wanted to get as far away from the people and the experience of Houston, Texas. Mm because it was like i grew up it i mean now it's wild because all these famous people are coming out of ailey's like like mm. kobe and lizzo, lizzo and yeah. technically beyonce mm-hmm. Rashard, like all these famous people the bennett brothers but if you listen to what they say about what it was like to grow up in ailey like you'll know like it was rough and it's the most right in my state. it's pound for pound per capita it's the most diverse school district right in the yeah. state of texas Mm-hmm. Yep. Because you have such a huge refugee group. Yeah. Yep. Just for people who don't know about A-Leaf. Yeah. And, it, you know, A-Leaf, if, you know, what's interesting about it is that it, there are certain parts of A-Leaf that look like a suburb. But what yep. it was, was the the history of the of, of the neighborhood is like, the, I mean, this was literal white flight. Like you had this area of town that was far enough away from downtown mm-hmm. to where the houses were so cheap. My mom bought a house in A-Leaf for $80,000. Like, just think about that. In 2003, she bought the house for $82,000. And when the last hurricane hit, the insurance company said, oh, yeah, we'll give you we'll give you $81,000 to repair. She was like, oh, great. This is wonderful. <laughs> like, sold it and moved on to a better house. But it was like a decent house, right? Like, it wasn't like, it wasn't bad. It was a decent house. So, that, I mean, that's just like where, where it is. But I worked really hard in been blessed to get to this place in my career to where I make really good money to be in education. And I have this constant struggle of with my kids 
of wanting them to experience some of the same friction that I did because I recognized the character that it built in me and the resilience that it built in me. But at the same time, like, I don't want them to go just by virtue of like me having a, a fantastic mom. Like I didn't necessarily, I just, I trusted that she was going to handle things and that we would always come out on top. But like, I remember really like her making really hard decisions. And at one point, at one point we were, we were homeless, like growing up. So my kids have never had to experience any of that. And I sometimes really struggle when they say or say certain things or act certain ways. I'm like, whoa, dude, like you don't even I'm like, but y'all are growing up in the summer. <laughs> like you're growing up it, in a way that like I used to dream about. Like I had this moment in my life recently where I was brought to tears because I mean, like quite literally we're, we're joking about this, but while I was plotting to move to Houston, like we, I had convinced my wife to like, like, look, let's actually look at houses. And I, I thought to myself that I was like, you know, I wonder if I can afford a house in Bel Air. And it turned out that I could. And to me in my mind, like, I didn't say anything out loud, but I was like, I made it in life. Like, like I don't need anything else. I can afford a house in Bel Air. Like when I was a kid and I went to school out there, I was like, I'm never, I could never live somewhere like this. And like seeing that did something for me, but still like my kids don't, because of what we do for them, they don't, that's just not their reality. And I, so I fight this battle of like not wanting that to be their reality, but also like really sometimes struggling to relate to the things that they say and honestly struggling to stomach some of the things that they say as they are being provided for in the way that I, that they actually should be provided for. I think for any parent, right? You want your child to be able to come to you and talk to you about anything and everything. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so I guess it's like, by what you just shared, how do you bite your lip and not jump in with a sermon to say, you have no idea. <laughs> and maybe this is kind of what I'm getting from I'm here from, from what you're saying is what how I'm hearing it is that how do you replicate to some degree maybe so that the tension that you had that made you who you are how do you replicate that somehow with your children to appreciate what they have and not being quote spoiled or or whatever but if they come to you how do you not jump in and, and shut down lines of communication by lessening their reality is that right that's the big struggle. And what I have figured out is if I pause and look at my wife, Alex normally, she, she normally has the answer to these things. <laughs> like, um, so it's a look of you step in. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> Hey, I need you to take you because they're about to get a 35 minute lecture Yeah. Of, you know, of the old man. What'd you say earlier about the kids all, the, all the kids noise yeah the kids music sounds like yeah, yeah 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 it's like you're starting to sound like some old like back yep. in my day you know? that's exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> and just realizing like like their the context that they have for life is not even wrong it's just sure it is what it is and it's yep. like it's the things that i sort of wish i had when mm-hmm. i was younger mm-hmm. and there are even sometimes where like I, I I saw this Joe Coy stand up where he was talking about 
you know, growing up poor. And then now that he has money, there are some things where like, or, you know, like, like he's like, I'm an adult. I can buy what I want. And that means I can also buy my kids what, what I want as well. And so he like, his son sees this toy in a store and he's like, man, when I was a kid, I really wanted one of those. And son's like, well, I don't want that. And he was like, no, 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 you're going to get this for us. <laughs> like we are going to play with these toys. <laughs> I feel like that's what I, I never had it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's another thing that's kind of come up a lot with, you know, Michael to my past, you know, guests is that line of communication with their kids, where they, where your child could really feel like they can come to you about anything. And I think that's the sweet spot yeah. where they're not going to feel judged or feel my last guest that has not been released yet. A Houston guy, his son is not quote the athlete. His son is a little bit more, you know, artsy or whatever. And dad's kind of not that way, but, but how he just really has had to like pause his internal biases whatever and really just literally sit with his son and just listen to him and and just hey if that's your interest that's your interest but just meeting the child meeting each child where they are you know and just really the hope is to nurture that open lines of communication right right you know and i'm sure with your four kids those are four huge different personalities you know so you know not only with your background and what you had to go through and i i said this in my last podcast too so for listeners i apologize but you know, it's, I love analogies because that's the only way I can learn um, is visual, but is, you know, the butterfly. Like if you mm. go and nope. rescue a butterfly out of the cocoon, it's going to die. They die. It, that's right. It needs that resistance of the cocoon because it makes the wings stronger to really fly and be who it was created to be. And so we as parents, whenever we want to rescue, rescue, uh, our kids may fail. You know, yeah. and so how do you, Mike Yates, create that tension without doing more damage? Yeah, you know. Yeah, anyway, I love that butterfly analogy. I wrote a speech about that uh, when I was in high school. Oh, did you really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I had heard that story where the scientists uh, put the incision in the cocoon, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and the butterfly ends up dying because it needs the it needs the struggle for the blood to flow to its 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 uh, wings and limbs divine topic right there my friend um, that's a great analogy it's a good one yeah yeah i, I like it and, and, and i'm not going to call any names because i may have some current parents that are listening to this but and this is a whole nother conversation when you, when you move to houston and we'll go to we'll go grab some barbecue but you know i see it all the time we just took our kids to a camp granted it was the perfect storm where covid uh these families go from zero camp outs to a three-nighter um, oh wow Right. And so a lot of these kids have never spent a night from home. And then also, too, we were, were pretty anal about our lines of communication to our parents. And there's a lot of intentionality behind that because we're actually trying to pull the parents off the proverbial teeth, right? As in also yep. to the students. But man, I mean, it really did expose some ugliness. It was good, but then it was tough to actually go through it. But again, kind of getting back to that resistance and yeah. like your kids are going to have to face this at some point. So at one point, are you going to rip the band aid off? you know, if you will. So with your children though, as far as the biggest challenge, and I get that as far as, and I think what you were saying is trying to understand them, but since you have four, how do you, in all that you're doing, you meet them, you know, individually for who they are. Do you guys carve out specific times with each child? Are there traditions in your house? Like we're going to eat together every night as a family. What is it? We have that dinner time tradition for sure. So we have two like mealtime traditions, which is which every night 
dinner at the dinner table and uh sundays lunch every sunday to make sure that we have the time to connect mm-hmm. and then at dinner i mean i love storytelling i i, I think it's an important discipline mm-hmm. for people to learn so i started a year ago just telling these wacky stories <laughs> and then my kids were like hey i want to get in on this so now it's like this little tradition where like everyone tells a story and decides whether it's made up or true um, <laughs> at these meal times so we have we have those traditions and then um as much as we can we try to get one-on-one time with kids mm-hmm. um so like if i'm going to the, the grocery store like i know that one of there's one of my daughters that will always be like hey i want to come and i love that because that's like a car ride and i will purposefully go to a grocery store that is farther away <laughs> so that i can spend more time in the car talking to her um this but yeah it will be just intentional one-on-one time and then those meal times and then sometimes like it's just these are just like we don't plan these but like kind of like my wife and i can like look at each other which we know like this week we've we've had like a pretty rough week just like yeah. with some yeah. health stuff going on with kids my wife was so tired we were supposed to go somewhere and she could not find the keys to our minivan and so nobody panicked we were just like you know what everybody go back in the house and we will just not go until we find these keys but nobody was stressed it was just one of those moments where we knew like it's time for Yates family ice cream party so i went and got a bunch of ice cream <laughs> we had this little ice cream party with music movies ice cream you know awesome. and we do that yeah every time things feel overwhelming we tend to do that so we're hoping to keep that up <laughs> yes. so our kids are well into their adult lives <laughs> well how you can keep that in the moment to be that mindful to recognize that and to be able to do that it mainly most of the credit with parenting parenting that goes right in our house really does belong to alex i mean i really i say this and i'm, and I'm not joking i mean like she is like lebron james level like of a parent she just gets it like she was she was a high level track and field athlete has broken ncaa records like he's an incredible athlete and all she's ever wanted to do was be a mom and she is excellent she treats being a mom like an olympic athlete and so when she gets flustered i am like oh oh this is i gotta do something so (laughs) (laughs) it's normally ice cream ice cream party that's my good ice cream party so if you see her break it down and you're like oh man this is real yeah because if she don't have it (laughs) nobody's gonna have it like so so ice cream normally jolts us all out of that then we relax that's so fun man and i love the fact of the intentionality um another one of my guests he he would take his yeah kind of like you but he would take his two kids on a drive and they would just go drive to bucky's it was like their bucky's night on friday night they live in waco and they would just oh, get awesome and, but just allow that time i think it was like a friday night you know he says the conversations that would come out of it you know but that was his time with his kids you know mom stayed back at home so i love hearing about traditions and rituals that families do you know just to kind of create that bonding and that connection because i think that that's so important you know my dad would take us out on date nights you know so and especially for for my sisters he would take them on a date night he would open the door for them he would hold the seat open for them at the dinner table you know at the the table because he wanted to raise the bar of how they should be treated that's right Um, i love that so i thought that was really cool that you know he's like don't accept anything less you know for men if they don't open the door for you or blah, 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 blah. Right. So I thought that was, that's, that's always been an impression on, on me. Do you have girls? Did you end up doing that too? So I have a stepdaughter and then my son, right. But my stepdaughter, 
We try to, I mean, obviously we're very thankful. She has a very active father who doesn't live very far. So obviously she does have that positive, you know, father figure in her life. Um, but we, when we do go out, I always open the door for her. Well, um, that's awesome. You know? Yeah. So I, that was something that was laid down with my dad. That's so funny. Cause my, my mother, it didn't matter who it was. She used to make me like, she'd make me like run to open doors for like old ladies who have uh-huh. like, it was just like in me. So like when I got to college, the first time I opened a door for this girl, she was like, I can, I can open the door for myself. I was like, I know that, but like, this is what, this is what I am here to do. <laughs> it's like, I've been trained. I don't know any other way. And, and I think that's all, that could be a whole other show too. Right. As far as like yeah. chivalry and then in, in our culture oh, today, yeah. like independence and I don't need a man. I don't know, but it's like, I don't, I'm sorry. It's just, a, it's, that's how I was raised to like, that's right a show respect and um and she's gonna listen to this show so but our principal who actually introduced me to you and i think one of your friends who i just had uh mr barnes um, a couple weeks ago but so she was one that that had said you got to reach out to these guys but anyway but but melissa was like she's from virginia she's not a southern girl and i remember we were when she first got hired we run some errands together and I just, my, my, my nature was to open the door for, her. and she's like, yeah. Are you, what's, what's happening? I go, I, sorry. I just, it's what I do. And so yeah. thankfully she didn't like belittle me, you know? So like, well, thank <laughs> you for humoring me, but I'm sorry. It's, it's just. It's like, ma'am, you were in the South now. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, on a side note too, cause you mentioned storytellers. Are you a moth fan? I am a huge fan of the moth. Um, I went to the moth teachers to, and turned to their storytelling workshop into one one of my own. Oh, did you really? Yeah. Were you here? They were here last week. Or sorry, you're in Dallas. Never mind. Oh, they were in Houston. Yeah. yeah sorry, oh. that was not intentional. But they were in Houston, and I couldn't go because I was with my fifth graders uh, out in West Texas. But um, Melissa, my principal, was like we gotta go. I was like, I can't. But I'm reading the book Storytellers. So anyway, great book. So I just didn't know if you had. I mean, it's the moth and slam poetry. Like in, in Houston, there's actually right now a poetry, which is just like some phenomenal, some of the best poets in the world come come and perform there. So another reason to get you down here. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I had to mention that because you, you dropped that that reference. But um, anyway, very cool. So what did you, as far as, I mean, obviously you as a father and with your kids, I do want to take advantage of a little bit of having you on the show because I think I would, I, I don't want to like, end it with any regrets because i do know that one of your topics is school suck because i do, I do want to hear a little bit about just your take on that and for for listeners kind of your macro view of to happen in the world of education and how you like to kind of what did you say earlier to what you say you like agitate yeah like what are you agitating you know kind of want to end the maybe the, the podcast on that but I do have two yeah. last questions to you specifically about being a father. And then I do want to hear a little bit about education since I'm in education. But now that you have four kids, and, and, and obviously they're kind of concentrated in this, you know, what, four to nine right now. But if you could go back and tell yourself, what would you go back and tell yourself at the birth of your first child, what you know now of having four kids? Mm-hmm. I would give myself advice about the gentle hand of a father with our oldest we went through this journey where we more me than than we was very hard on him as a young like he's still young but like when he was like two and three we were still very very hard on him and um 
a lot of it comes from, and I think this is common amongst lots of black fathers, just like, it's like you're growing up in a world that hates you. And whether that is right or wrong to think or say or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. a lot of black fathers, you know, when I talk to my, my buddies, like that comes up and we went to, we were too heavy on that with him and so much so to where we lost, we, 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 we lost him at one point where we just like, he wouldn't, he didn't want to engage, right? Like he saw us as the law and, and he didn't open up and it took, it took six months for him to start opening up again. And, you know, we learned the balance between being firm and having boundaries Mm -hmm. and, you know, like, rightly correcting and redirect when it's when it's necessary right so i think it's that definitely and we we progressively learned that like you know time over time you know what did that look like though mike when you said i guess like you're hard or you know expectations for a young you know black male uh, like what did yeah to try a lot to of times picture yeah a lot of times we didn't let him be a kid like when he would go when we would go out in public uh-huh. Like there was no crying. There was no, I got you. It was no, it was like, look, man, like, like suck it up. Be tough. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like you're not drawing attention to yours. We're not doing that. You know, we were very, very strict, which is you know, like now we, we look back and we're like, man, that was so foolish given like his history being, he was born at 25 weeks. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of reasons, a lot more reasons to give him grace, uh, yeah. for, for a lot, a lot of things, but you know, he went through the terrible two phase like everybody else. And what that was where we were like, oh, but we didn't, we had never seen it before. We didn't, we'd heard about terrible twos, but we didn't know what to do. And it didn't really hit us until the sec, our second child. And we were like, oh, I've, I've seen this before. I know what this is. <laughs> um, but so they didn't revisit her. So, so, yep. I mean, that it, terrible two situation. <laughs> like, I, I had a moment with my oldest when he was six where I had to sit him down and say, look, man, I'm really sorry. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. When we had you, I was 23 years old. So when you were going through that, I was 25 and I was stressed as a teacher. I didn't know anything. And he was like, that is okay. Nobody knows everything. I forgive you. And it like, I mean, he is the sweetest, like most gentle kid in the world. And we just, we're like thankful that we did the work mm-hmm. to sort of get him back. Cause his person, like he sort of hid, hid his personality. Cause he was like, I'm, I'm assuming he was like, I'm going to get in trouble regardless of what I do. So, you know, I'm not going to do anything, but we're like, we were so thankful to have him back. Well, it's also about think that you, that you guys uh, were self-aware enough, right? I guess to the whole adage of like we don't have an instruction book, a manual when the, you're right. a kid, right? My kid's born, we, we're learning it kind of as we go or whatever. But you know, we're doing the best that we can. But the effect that you show your you show you and your wife gave yourself some grace and but came back. It sounds like to him and said, "Hey, we're sorry. That's cool." And I think too, last question as far as you, Mike, um, as far as a father to your four. In all that you're ex- being exposed to, I'm assuming, not really knowing you, but uh, in the world of education and everything that you're battling out there, what would you say is the biggest challenge facing dads today? I think it's being present still. I mean, I grew up without a father. 
I have to remind myself that like there are some kids who grow up with where both parents are technically around, mm-hmm. but they still don't know one of their parents because work takes precedent over like so I think we we have to remind ourselves like as a as a father, you naturally want to be a provider, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you got to know when like enough is enough and you have to know when you got to turn it off and turn on your dad hat mm-hmm. and how to like, I mean, truly, I, I, I hate saying work-life balance, but like truly balance both of those roles because one of them is more important and it's the father hat. How do you do it? One of the things that we did at the reinvention lab was this sneaker competition and the founder of the brand so we partnered with this brand called 99 products uh founder of this brand that we partnered with to to pull off this sneaker competition we basically produced real pairs of the winning sneakers the founder was like ex nike ex worked at adidas nike you know he he they, he created the yeezy brand which is the most hyped sneaker ever he's lead designer on that his kids all work in the footwear industry and one day i i asked him it's like jeff I have access to you. I've seen your kids around you. They love you. What is the secret? And he said, I never closed the door to my office ever. Mm. So it didn't matter if it was still night. It didn't matter if it was Kanye West. It didn't matter. My kids had access to me at all times. There, You can go find photos of the earliest designs and mock-ups for Yeezy that have crayon or juice and it is from <laughs> this now what i think is a design prodigy named dream henderson who is jeff's oldest son okay like dream was a model in kanye's initial like fashion show for the yeezy brand jeff was really clear he's like i never closed the door and so i as much as i can i tell my kids like look if you need me and the door is closed open it like come in here and then I, I also just give my wife permission to remind me when I'm not doing well at that. Mm. And she does. I love that, man. I love that. I'm taking notes. Seriously. Like this is, this is the whole reason I'm doing this show is like, <laughs> I love that. I'm glad I asked that question, dang it. Cause I would have gotten that <laughs> nugget from you. And that's powerful, you know, and, and also too, Mike, you know, I hear this from a lot of my guests too. And just, you know, I'm sure you can imagine as a father too, with a nine year old, but you blink. And time flies, yeah. time flies. Yeah. And so many of my my friends or, or guests that have older children are just like, I wish I would have spent more time or I wish I wouldn't have been so much on the golf course or yeah. hunting, you know, like my personal hobbies could have yep. been more on the wayside, but I sacrificed some of that, you know? And I think it's just spending that time, you know? Yeah. Um, and being intentional about it. I love the fact that you said your wife, hey, I need you to hold me accountable. So if I'm, you know, if I need to be reined in a little bit, rein me in, you know? So yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I appreciate that. And so before we get into the, obviously your thoughts on education, because I've got to ask, what, is there anything that I haven't asked you that just through the course of our, our chat, like that you do want to share just from your vantage point of, of a father or you're growing up? that's in your heart that you want to share i mean like nothing that you didn't ask but i think i think the thing that i'll share is just like for any any father listening to this like it's just really hard and honestly the world changes so fast that 
my greatest hope with with podcasts like this is what i love that you're doing this is like i think there needs to be a more positive narrative about the father in american media mm-hmm. in america in general because fathers are so important like way more important than than we know and uh my wife and i talk about this constantly it's like the effect that fathers have on both girls and boys mm. is just like you can't understate it like quick example is like i you know one of my hobbies is whenever i get a chance to which is not very often i will play video games uh and one of them is my favorite video game is nba 2k i've been playing it since before it was cool <laughs> because it used to cost twenty dollars and my mom bought it for me when i was a kid and i was like oh this is actually pretty good instead of the the fifty dollars that nba live costs. yesterday i'm like out shopping for groceries or something and my wife is like she sends me a screenshot of the tv and my daughter's playing NBA 2K. Uh, she's like, I asked her if she wanted to watch like her favorite show, and she was like, "No, I, I want, I want to play that game that Dad plays." And did you like, get emotion? Did you get emotional? Like, oh I, my gosh, I did. I was like, <laughs> you know, like, but it was just one of those moments where you know, like, if you don't let your kid in, like, if you if you have a hobby, like, bring the kid, you know, like, let them do it with. If dads are so important, and I just want to remind any dad listening to this like what you do and how you do it is so important to your kid like it means everything to them mike I, that yeah man i appreciate that and and i think like again the whole at the onset of the show is that we're all in this together um i think sometimes we as i don't know about you but i think sometimes males in general tend to be a little bit of isolationists and we we have to put on a strong front and uh, we're not struggling with anything and you know, but just to be okay to have a band of brothers or something that you could at least share with or be vulnerable with, right. you know, and just be able to lean on each other because it's it's tough, but but also to be present with your children. And I think you know it's interesting. I think how a father plays in the role of a of a of a daughter because you always hear that if a girl doesn't have a positive father figure, they're always going to be looking for that validation in the wrong places. And how important it is for a father to be able to speak into his daughter's life to say, to give him that validation, but also too, and there's probably maybe that natural tension with the father and the son, right? Because there's the son's like, because uh, you want them to be independent. Well, all your kids, you want to be independent, but that struggle of maybe of a father and a son, you know, but also too, that plays a different role as far as a, of that, that relationship with the father and son. And there's a book too, that it's based out of a church up in Arkansas, but uh, raised in a modern day night that I've Oh yeah. About. Yeah, that I thought was pretty neat, just kind of like how kind of the stages of, of, of raising a young man, quote, for battle, but how to be chivalrous, chivalrous and treat women with respect. And so kind of an interesting, I don't know if you've read it. Um, I haven't, but it, it is in my uh, Amazon save list. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, my prayer is that I could get the author on this because I love to chat with him. But um, oh, yeah. it's kind of a po- powerful book too, you know, as far as raising a young man, you know, but so Mike, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for being vulnerable and just taking a risk with me, not knowing me um, and just having a conversation about just your experiences, the father and your upbringing and um, just really, really awesome to hear your story and how much value you're bringing. But I think the biggest thing that you're doing is just being a father and a husband and how you're changing the trajectory of your children's lives, you know, every day. So hope that can be a word of encouragement to others out there. Um, but I do need to, before we wrap all this up, um, I do need to get your 
okay, what's going on in the world of education? What's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, talk to us a little bit, you know, about that because uh, uh, yeah, what what's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think I think education's in a, I think it's uh, we're we're in a unique, in a really interesting place, but I think and I hope that it's a it's a good place. I was disappointed at what happened after COVID when the world shut down. I thought, right. yeah, I was like, you know, the this is the moonshot moment, right? Like this is the, somebody's got to build something incredible. And I, I didn't see that. That didn't happen. But I do think that because of COVID, more parents are choosing different options. You know, you know I think about like, you know, when COVID hit, I was, before Teach for America, I was, I was helping to build a, this very unique and innovative uh, micro school called Alpha. And in the middle of the pandemic, we tried to scale from Austin to Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, and Brownsville all at the same time. And I remember families in Houston specifically saying, why would I leave St. John's to come do this new little thing? Or why would I leave uh, high school for HSPVA? Or why would I leave Lamar? Like, why would I come do this? And then those same families changing their tone after seeing what school was like. You know, the school system was kind of caught with its pants down, so to speak. And so I am hopeful that there will be more school models created. I think that's one of the gaps that people keep forgetting about. Like they're like, you know, like you're at the Fay school. Like I think that's a, a, a really unique model. And like when I think about Houston, like the post Oak school and, you know, all these independent and micro schools, like Montessori schools, like, I think those are really important and there needs to be more of them so they can be a true middle of the market in the school system. And then I'm also just really excited about what's going to happen with AI. The last thing I'll say is like, I, I really do hope that more families choose to homeschool. Like we homeschool our kids, all four of them. We are in a position to homeschool and not just, not even really, I'm not even talking about financially. We're in a position at a homeschool because we both want to. And when I was making $40,000 a year, we homeschooled. And my wife stayed at home and was a teacher. Like we made the sacrifice to be able to do that because it's important to us. And I think we're starting, I, I hope that we will see more families make that choice because I think it's the right choice for more people than we think. I would just hope that parents would feel confident that they can teach their kids as well that they can do the work, do the legwork, do the research and teach their kids if they don't have a great school option near them. Because you control, because obviously the, 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 the control is really in your hands. You're controlling somewhat of the narrative as far as. Oh yeah. Messaging, but also to the content and meeting, uh, meeting your child where they are. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, you know, our, our model is, is pretty different than what we do at home is pretty different than most people. But yeah, I mean, I would think that there are all of these questions that are arising in school lately in the school world, which is like, who do children really belong to? Do they, do they belong to their parents or do they, do they belong to the state? You know, when a kid walks into a school building, whose responsibility are they? Right. Like, um, and so like, because we, because the custodial nature of school is important, I think, I just, I think more options is the answer at, at this point in the future. And I think homeschool should be one of those viable options. But like, I mean, if you look at an area, like if you look at like Washington, DC, I use this as an example often, 
Ward 6, 7, and 8 is the lowest income and most dangerous area in Washington, D.C. But there is only, the only option you have is the local public school. Like, there's right. not even a charter school option. So, those families who, like, where they, like, they live in a bit of a failed state because, like, we live in this country where, where, where like, education is in many ways the key to upward mobility. Right. Like, it's that or, like, you are LeBron James. Right, like, the, like when even when you look at, when you look at the the school that most famous actors went to, they went to a univers like a school, you know, like so. When education is the great equalizer, when you don't have an option to even get out and say, you know, like reject, nope, I don't. Regardless of it, of if it's about you know content, political ideology, or quality, right? Like I think that we need more options. Is there any school or area that's doing it right? Oh yeah, certainly. I, I think like, uh, so I'll say in the public school, man, uh, North Dakota, that whole state, uh, specifically Fargo and Northern Cass. So all the superintendents in North Dakota, they met and they decided, like they defined what innovation meant for their state. And they have just all decided to pursue it together. So they're all like, I mean, actually helping each other drive towards innovation. So as a result, you have like Northern Cass ISD, which is a smaller school district, but it is a school district that has no grades, complete competency-based learning. Mm. And they validated their model with North Dakota State. So they have an extremely high college acceptance rate with no grades. Wow. Right. And that that is only possible because Fargo, the biggest district in the state, decided to try it too. So they're and all in. They, yeah, they're all in. I mean, you know, so Dr. Corey Steiner from Northern Cass is very good friends with the Fargo superintendent, which is Rupak Gandhi, who actually, he was my, uh, in high school, he was my assistant speech coach. Rupak's wife is the superintendent of the neighboring school district, right? So, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, they. I think they, like, they're, Everybody should be talking about North Dakota and nobody is mm-hmm. <laughs> because what's happening in the school world there in the public school district, I think is a, is, is a model th- that should be happening other places. And then I think there's a lot of, a lot of micro schools. I mean, obviously I had a big hand in creating alpha alpha is a school in Austin. It's now the official school model of SpaceX uh, replaces direct instruction with adaptive learning software. Mm-hmm which makes more time for life skills, projects, workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, despite what that, what it sounds like, it makes the adults in the building more important, not less important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think Alpha Alpha's cool. You know, I think what's happening at Nuvu in Boston is really cool. All of the Da Vinci schools, you know, Portal Schools is, is a school in LA. They have school on the Belkin campus. And so they have this integrated like business and entrepreneurship curriculum that's supported by Belkin employees. Mm. Like there are real pockets of innovation, like real big ones now where a lot of things are going right. Well, I feel like at Houston too, uh, we're the most, we're the most international or we're the most diverse city in the States for sure. And all Texas growing, Houston growing, obviously Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin, you know, I feel like this potentially should be right, especially Houston, but you know, I think with the independent schools that I'm kind of in that world that, yeah, for some reason, you know, God bless St. John's and Kincaid, but for some reason they hold the standard. I don't know why, 
Um, Crazy. And it's like a, it's like a club. You know, everybody's just really just about trying to be a part of it. But, but it seems like there's a whole lot of room for people to think yeah. outside the box, you know, and, and I was talking to Matt, you know, it's like, I used to work at the Methodist Children's Home, you know, there in, in Waco at the Boys Ranch. Oh, yeah. So we would take our boys to TSTC. Um, you could uh-huh. see you could see the campus kind of almost from our ranch. And so we would take them, you know, we would take them, we would go to the apartment and say, this is how you fill out an apartment application. This is what you need to do, you know, try to empower them. And we would go take a tour of TSTC. I'm like, I want to go here. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, the fact that I could walk out with a, a with a trade and make X amount and I've got a train, like I've got something that I can always fall back on, you know? And I'm like, we've got a way. And again, I, I don't want to hijack the conversation, but you know, it's like, oh, I feel like okay. we could, you know, we could. Have, we're trade schools and home ex, you know, at That's the right. school level and where even if you want to go to college, great, you know, but you do you have something you can fall back on and there's no shame at all in any of that stuff. So I don't know. I just, I've, I've heard, That's I don't right. know if it's true, but, uh, you know, gallery furniture, I thought that they had started some kind of a trade school for, I want to say middle or high school kids or something, or that was a, a seed that was planted, but just there's that whole area too that. I think kids are just bored and they're not being challenged. And I think that's so right. Like a friend of mine, a good friend of mine is actually, you know, he pivoted his startup. He was basically trying to reinvent community college. And then he decided, you know what, actually, I want to create more direct pathways into trades for young people. So he's trying to, cre- he's creating this, this system where the young person gets paid while they're 14, 15, 16, like to do, like they're on the job site. It's not like happening in a vacuum. So he's trying to like accelerate the process of getting them certified and into trades. Because I mean, exactly what you said, like everybody can't get into tech, like everybody can't break into tech, you know, like there's a, there are a lot of really great school. One of the schools that I can't say enough good things about is Rooted School is in New Orleans, New Orleans, Indianapolis, and I think Vancouver, Washington. And their students graduate with a uh, with acceptance into into a four year university and an entry level job in tech, but but not everybody's interested in in cybersecurity. <laughs> you know, not everybody's interested in being an analyst. Uh, some people, in a lot of cases, you can actually make more money as a plumber. Hundred mm, percent, and you can start your own company and hire other plumbers. That's right, and you can work less too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and, you know, Matt, we were talking too. It's like, what did they do 200 years ago when they're working on the farms, you know, and how do you, how can you make that into real world, like today, you know, where kids have to, whether it's cut the grass or, you know, but I don't know. I, I'd love to, I don't know, my side things, like I'd love to start because, you know, too, in Houston, uh, when anywhere, parents are looking for things to do over the summer, you know, when school's out, they're like, oh my gosh, we're going to go to camps and this and this and this, but have like a, a summer trade you know camps and workshops where you learn how to cut grass you learn you get your uh your uh babysitter licensing or, or cpr or yeah. so then you can go out there and actually make some money being a babysitter at a young age and you know what I'm saying like empowering our kids at a younger age because i feel like a middle school nobody wants to be in middle school because it's it's the middle seat on the plane you know it's like everybody hates it we don't want it we're all walking wounded from our middle school years so but how do we how can we empower some of our middle school kids so that way they have a little bit of a swagger and like yeah i'm actually good at this or this or this 
Hmm. We could talk about because one of the projects that we're working on at TFA is actually reinventing summer. So we should talk about that because I actually have an idea for like maybe the perfect partner. There's there's a school in Fort Lauderdale called Colossal Academy. It happens on a farm. Mm. Like they have school on a farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and their thing is like very similar. It's like there's all of these tasks that are actually jobs that people don't consider jobs. One of the ones that they always use, the example that they always use is like dog walkers in New York and how like dog walkers in New York make more than some teachers in certain states. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. But if you like, if you could get paid to walk someone's dog on the Upper East Side for a few hours a day <laughs> and make $75,000 a year, would you do it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. 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 podcasts on and walking yes yes <laughs> sign me up and, and i'm getting i'm getting exercise i mean come on that's right you know yeah well i just i just think do you know that yeah i mean i just think whether it's your chicken this and we have chickens at our school we have a garden at our school oh nice so how do you teach the kids how do you, how many eggs are the chickens yielding you know for the month of march versus december when it's colder do they produce enough more eggs then and there so there's all the math things that you can and dig into that or i love to mountain bike you know so like in the morning go to take your core classes but in the afternoon you go out and mountain bike all day and but you're learning geometry or math through your bike and i don't know i just think there's a potential opportunity there too with with parents and summer and you know learning an actual trade but absolutely there you go well mike i wish you did live in houston because we could carry the conversation over some food but thank you. I really, really appreciate your time. And and uh, really, I have really enjoyed the conversation and all of your information, you know, for the listeners too, will be in the show notes as far as getting to know who Mike is and just all the links to who you are and what you're doing and how you're being an agitator. Um, so God bless you in that role. <laughs> and continue, continue to agitate relentlessly still be the awesome husband and and father that you are mike thanks for this time um blessings to you as we go into the summer months yeah you as well man this is a great um, i had a great time thanks for having me on we hope you enjoy this latest episode of bear crawl with dads from our brother c.s lewis you can't go back and change the beginning but you can start where you are and change the ending 